You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, we are in a journey through 2 Corinthians, and we have been talking about how God uses the things in our life or the events and different things in our life to make us more like him. Last week, we talked about how that process is called, big theological term here, theology basically means the study of God. And there's all these like terms in theology, uh, in, in Christian theology. And one of those, a very powerful and important one, is called sanctification. That means the process by which we are more and more set apart or the process of becoming more like him. And the, the book of 2 Corinthians kind of unloads all these sort of things that, that show how Paul and this church in Corinth, which is basically Vegas of uh, the ancient times, uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth uh, unless a letter is written to Paul and then Paul finds out. Because there are some crazy things that were taking place in Corinth and it caused Paul to write four letters to this church that he planted himself. And when he heard about what was happening in Corinth, it wasn't staying there, it was getting out. He wrote four times. We have two of them, two of those letters that he wrote. And we've been looking at the, it was actually the second book that we have to the Corinthians in the Bible was actually the fourth letter he wrote to them. And we've been kind of unpacking that, kind of been walking through the journey of how God is making this really hard strange culture of people become more like Christ. We've been talking about how God is uh, taking us from A to C, but the process is the B. And you know what God does is uh, we, we step up on the platform. We say, God, here's my life. That's salvation. And then when God looks at us and he says, uh, I see you as holy, that's called justification. Then God begins to chisel away the parts of our life that don't look like him. That's called uh, sanctification. And then uh, one day we'll stand before him. If you are a child of God, we will stand before him and be made new. And that's called glorification. We are walking through that process. And in this, until we get to that day of glorification, we're in a process where God is chiseling us. He's a, uh, he looks at your character and says, ah, you know what? That's got to go. Right. He says, man, the way that you're talking to your friends, that's got to go. The way that you respond to that guy at school or work, that's, that's got to go. That stuff that you're doing in private that nobody sees, yeah, that's going to have to go too. The way that you're treating your wife, yeah, that's, that's something. The list goes on. It seems like nothing ever changes. But when we pull back and we see God's work in our life, we can see that God is actually making a, this, this boulder of a stone of rubble into a beautiful masterpiece. We're going to be talking more about that today. We're going to be unpacking this whole idea of chiseling today. And um, last week we looked at how God uses pain and trials to shape us and chisel us and form us into more of his image. Today we're going to talk about how, I like this one, the mistreatment of others shapes us. So uh, I've, I've got to ask you, today's message is called Make My Day. And um, <clears throat> I've got to ask if you've ever seen uh, um, that movie, that Clint Eastwood movie. Anybody seen that movie where he says those famous lines? It's from the movie Sudden Impact. And uh, there's Clint Eastwood, if you know who he is, he was like like the premier cool dude of the 70s and 80s. Now he's just an old dude uh, who makes pretty good movies. He's a great director. But he used to be this like, like you know, big long gun cop kind of guy and he, he gets the guy cornered in the movie, Sudden Impact, and he points the gun at him, and 
and the guy's like holding this woman hostage and he points the gun. He goes, go ahead, make my day. He's just daring him. He says, you know what? You have put me through the ringer. Just give me a reason to unleash on you, right? And some of you, that is how you live. I mean, you are, you, you're, there's so many things going on at school or work and in your family. Sometimes you come home from work or you walk into your class or you're, or you're done with your day. And you wake up and you're just, you know, just somebody. I dare you. Mess with me. Go ahead. Make my day. Cause what would make my day is unleashing rampage on you. And, and we have to deal with that. And how you respond is a big indicator of your ability to let God to chisel areas out of your life. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been, uh, raise your hand if you have ever been misunderstood. Ever been misunderstood. Okay, some of you have not or you're not paying attention. Um, Or you're just don't understand the question. So I'm misunderstood. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever, if anything you've said ever has been taken out of context. That means somebody has heard what you've said and then turned it around and it's like, I never said that. That's it. Raise your hand again if that's ever happened to you. Okay. Um, raise your hand if, uh, if you've ever done something good for someone only to have a blow up in your face. You've done something really good. You're like, man, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to do something great only to have maybe that person walk all over you or hurt you or things go great for like years and all of a sudden they, they dump on you. You're like, what? You know, and, and your response is you want to fight back, right? You, you want to set the record straight. You want to, you want to post on Facebook what really happened and send out a mass email to all your friends. But you don't, right? <laughs> Some of you do, because I get your read. I get your post. Um, but how we respond makes us. Well, the Vegas-like church of Corinth, let's pick up where we left off last week. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul starts off after talking about how pain and trials are shaping him and shaping us. He says, now... Uh, this is our boast. Now, let me explain what that means. When he says, this is our boast, he's saying, this is what I can confidently 100% declare to you. Okay? So he's not saying, this is what I'm really proud of. That's not what it means. He's saying, this is what I'm confidently assured that I can say to you with complete conviction. This is what I can say to you. Now, I want to set up what he's about to say. Acts chapter 18 tells us that when Paul got that call to go tell the world about Jesus, that he went all over Europe and he went through Greece and he landed in a place called Corinth, this crazy, wild, Vegas-like city of Corinth, and he began to lead people to Christ. And he lived there for nearly two years, about a year and a half, a little bit more than a year and a half. He loved those people. He was leading them to Christ. He was baptizing them. He was a part of their children's lives. He was laughing with them. He was eating meals with them. He lived with many of them. Uh, He had a deep love. He was teaching and caring for them. He was their pastor. And then after he felt like that church was established, he would go and start another church someplace else, and then he would come back and check on the churches. Well, after being with them for about a year and a half, he leaves to go start another church 
only to find out that right after he left, some people came into the church and began to basically say that the Apostle Paul is a false prophet, a false apostle, and they began to question everything that Paul ever taught them, and they really attacked Paul's integrity with them. And they basically said that he couldn't be trusted, that, that, that everything that he taught them was for his own selfish game. And to top it all off, he got news of this and sent a letter to them and said, I'm coming to see you. And then he sent a second letter and said, I'm, I'm so frustrated with what I'm hearing, I'm coming to see you. And twice he didn't come to see them over a period of several years. So now, not only are they thinking that Paul is maybe not really a pastor, but now they think he is lying because he keeps saying that I'm coming to you and doesn't come. So now Paul is saying, you know what? You've heard a lot of things about me. I'm confident in this. Hear my words. They thought that he was unstable and that he was unpredictable and could not be trusted. He was treated horribly after he gave so much of himself to them. What follows is years of tension between Paul and the Corinth church. The church was on the edge of a church split. His friendships were at stake. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had a friendship that is so fragile right now, you wonder if it's going to survive what it's in the middle of. You have a marriage that's, that's hanging on the balance or a relationship with a son or a daughter. You have something going down at work and it, it is on the verge because under the surface is an unresolved conflict, is an unresolved problem that you just can't quite talk out. So you're wondering if it will survive because this might be the last thing it can handle. This might be the nail in its coffin. So how did Paul respond? This is actually his last letter that he wrote them. We have two of the four. This is the, the, we call it 2 Corinthians because it's the second one in our Bible. How does he respond to the mistreatment? Well, let's let's take a look at what happened, how he responded, and how he had planned on coming to them, but he couldn't, so he was attacked. Here we go. Verse 12, now this is our boast. He goes, basically, I'm confident of this. Let me explain. He says, Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and good sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Basically, Paul, everything about him, his conduct was in question. I want to tell you something. When you are in a position where you feel like your words are mistreated, here's the number one thing that happens. Your integrity gets questioned, doesn't it? Your character gets questioned. People start to wonder, well, maybe that person isn't really who they say they are. Maybe they're not really living the way that they want me to live. Maybe all those words are just phony and baloney, and he's just a player, he's just a cheater, he's just a liar, he's just all these things. And here's Paul, he's saying, you know what? You think I'm a liar. You think I've been lying to you because I said I was going to come and I couldn't come. I want to tell you, I have conducted myself with complete integrity in this issue. Some of you are in that position right now and you have your integrity being questioned right now. 
He goes on and he says in verse 13, he says, for we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. He says, he says, I'm not trying to, to trick you. I'm not trying to twist my words to, to, you know, to maybe confuse you. He says, I'm writing very clearly to you what I'm saying. He says, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, just what little you can get, he says, that you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us. Basically, that you can be confident in what I'm saying, that you can be once again proud of who we are, that you will listen to what I have to say, and that you will be confident in me again, that we can gain this relationship back. And he says, just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus, we are, we are trusting that the Lord will work this out. But in the meantime, here's what was happening. His words were being twisted. And he says, I want you to hear me out. He says, I'm praying that, that when you read what I'm clearly saying, and you've heard the things supposedly that I've said that have come to you, but now let me try to explain myself because my words are getting twisted. And maybe you're in a situation like that right now. When you are misunderstood, sometimes your words are taken and they're totally twisted, right? I mean... Maybe you've said one thing to somebody and they didn't hear it or understand it that way. So they go over here and they say, well, you, you won't believe what Ted just said. Man, he just said, you know, I got to tell you something. I sit and talk with a lot of people and I've had my words twisted many, many, many times. Partially because I wasn't clear or I assumed that they understood what I was saying. But I've been in a situation where I have been... There, where my words have been twisted. Anybody had your words twisted before? Like, I never said that. That's not what I meant. This is being misunderstood. Verse 15, he says, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. He says, I was planning on coming to see you again, basically. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia. And then I wanted to spend... Uh, and, and to have you spend, uh, send me on my way to Judea. Basically, he's saying, I wanted, by the way, when he says on my way to Judea, that means I'm going home. Because what he would do, he had a church that he was a part of in Antioch. And he would travel the world planting churches and then checking on those churches. And then he would go back to Judea where he would report to the people there, the apostles there. And then he would go back home to Antioch and be there for a year, year and a half, two years, and then go back out on these mission trips based out of his church. So he's basically saying, before I go home, I wanted you to be the last spot. I mean, hear me out. I love you guys. You don't think that I love you. I'm confident. I'm convinced. I love you. Don't you know, question my integrity on this. Take my word for it. Don't twist my words. I was planning on coming to you and I wanted to be there a long time, he says. He says, was I fickle when I mentioned, uh, when I mentioned, when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes and yes and no and no? Basically, he's saying, I, I didn't just say, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm coming. I didn't just write and say, I'm coming just to tickle your ears or just to, just, you know, to lie to you, just to make you think I'm, I'm, you know, on my way and coming that you like me. He says, my, I, I don't, I'm not like a double-minded person. His words were twisted. He says, it's true. I changed my mind several times on this issue, but I did not lie to you. I meant to come. He says, verse uh, 18, 
But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. That means I'm not double-minded. I'm not saying yes one minute, no one minute. And yes, I mean, he says, I am not unstable. And then he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy. Man, our words were not yes and no. We weren't fickle. But in him, there were always yes. We told you what we meant and we meant what we said. Jesus was real. That conviction was in, uh, was was from our heart. Verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. He says, Jesus fulfills every promise he has made. And he goes, guys, we will too. Uh, he, is, he is our king, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to be there. I, Jesus is faithful, and, and he is my Lord, and, and I have conviction. I'm a person of my word. He goes, and so through him, the amen. By the, everybody say amen. When you say amen at the end of your meal, you're basically, the word means so be it or let it be done. So when he says yes and yes and no and no, amen, he says, what I'm saying, let it be done. My word is true. So when we say in Jesus' name, amen, we're saying in the name of Jesus, let this be true, okay? So when Paul says amen to them, he's saying my words are true, Christ's words are true. Here's a third thing. Basically, his authority began to be tested. Not only was his integrity questioned and his words twisted, his authority was tested. And I want to clarify I was thinking about this over here when I got to this because I go through my notes in my mind before service and, you know, when I'm getting ready. And I was thinking about this section here. And I, and I, I don't want you to think that you can't question authority because that is an important part of being a mature person. But that doesn't mean that you don't submit to authority. Okay? The Bible is very clear that God gives you gifts in your life, people. These people are gifts in your life to shepherd you, to care for you, to look after you, to, to feed you, to protect you spiritually, and to help provide for you when you need help physically. And, and that's what a pastor is. That's, that's what leadership in church is meant to be. It's meant to be a gift to you so that we might protect you and care for you and feed you and, and help you and, and provide for you and teach you. But you need to hold me accountable to God's word and you need to question my words through God's word, but you need to be in a place where you can, with healthy with a healthy perspective, submit to someone who's looking out for you. Well, basically they were saying, Paul, we don't want to submit to you anymore. And Paul hadn't done anything to break that trust. And his authority was questioned, and they didn't even see him as a pastor or an apostle. In fact, he says in verse 21, it says, Now it is God who makes both of us, you, uh, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. It says he anointed us. He said, man, this is, this is a God thing. I came into your life by God. This, I didn't come into your life just trying to just start trouble. I wasn't trying to manipulate you or, or control you. I wasn't trying to, to, you know, to kind of rearrange your life and get anything benefit out of you. I was truly being moved by God. Anointing means like the sense that the Holy Spirit was on this and it was anointed by God. You know, in the Old Testament, they would anoint people with oil. That means they would pour oil on people who were like, um, blessed to be kings or, or blessed in certain areas and functions. The oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit covering their life. Now, 
There's a symbol of that in the New Testament, how we pray for people and anoint them with oil, but the Holy Spirit is that oil now. The Holy Spirit now covers us, and he says, I am anointed, you are anointed. This is a God thing. Why are you questioning this, my role in your life? He says, he anointed us, and he, he set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He says, man, we've come to you, and we're filled with God's spirit. We were sent by God, and we taught you confidently with a pure heart. Listen to my words. Now, they're reading this letter. But I can only imagine the passion and the pain and the heartache that is coming out of this pastor's heart. He spent years investing into these people, leading them to Christ, baptizing them and their children, laughing, breaking meals, uh, breaking bread, having meals with them, doing fun events, you know, doing life, living life with them. And now they don't even want to talk to him anymore. Paul's like, and this is what this was a God thing. We're anointed. I, this is a Holy Spirit thing. Why are you resisting? Number four, I want you to write this down. He said, his motives were challenged. And maybe you've been there. Maybe they'll, they'll see your actions and they go, oh, you're just trying to get something out of me, aren't you? You're only, you're only helping out at that shelter because you want to feel good about yourself. You don't really care about these people. You're only showing up early and helping out because somebody's making you do this. You know, you know, they begin to question your motives. You're trying to get out of this. You're trying to climb some ladder. I've seen it. I, honestly, I've seen it. I've seen people who come into our church. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a mega church. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Um, we're not like a, like a super large church. We actually are larger than about uh, um, 70% of the churches in America um, because the majority of them uh, have 75 people. Um, so we're larger than 75%. But I've had people come into our church because we are a smaller church, and they'll like be all buddy-buddy with me. They're like, man, like, what can I do for you, Pastor? What do you need? You know, and they're just, man, like day one, they're like, like they're like, hey, it's okay, man, I got it. You know, and, and, and they work in it. They go through Discover Living Way. They plug in. They get involved. They help with a kid venture. And the whole reason behind their motivation is because they want a position. And they know that in a church that's smaller, we have great need in a small church because we can't afford a staff. So the majority of all our volunteers are just that, volunteers, people serving out of passionate hearts to see something great in the kingdom. And uh, so these people say, you know what, I want to be in position. I want to roll. I want to... I I want to get paid one day, and, and all of a sudden they get all real close to me, and they're like, yes, sir, Pastor Ted. And, 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 and all of a sudden when they realize that, that they're not getting a position out of me, you know, maybe I don't have that mission for them or, or see something else in them or see their motives, they bail. They run. They run as fast as they can to the next small church to get plugged into. I see it all the time. In fact, I have pastor friends of churches that are like our size that, that I'm in relationship with, and they call me and say, hey, heads up, you might have this guy coming your way. I just had lunch with a pastor a couple of weeks ago who gave me a heads up on a guy, and, and I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but your motives are challenged. Sometimes you just have pure motives. You just want to serve God. Sometimes you're here just, just to see God's glory work through your life. Well, they began to question Paul's motives. Verse 23 
says, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. This is interesting. He says, I fully intended to come. Hear this. But I didn't because I knew that if I showed up, it would stir more trouble. If I had come, I know I would have been unkind. If I had come, I was so upset, it would not have been good for either you or for me. So he says, it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Now, I want you to maybe write this down in your notes. It's an extra. Is that sometimes we need to know when to talk and when to meet up and when not to talk and when not to meet up. Sometimes we need to know when to make that phone call and say, we need to get together today, you know, because that's me. I'm the kind of person, oh, something's wrong today. What are you doing right now? Because I'm like a, I'm like, a, I'm, a, I'm a natural confronter and I'm also, I, I like resolution and it will stir in my heart. I won't be able to sleep for days until I can get across that person and get affirmation and get confirmation and, and seal the deal that we're okay, right? Well, Paul says, he says, you know, sometimes we just need to know when not to meet and when to meet. That's a lesson for some of you right now, because you are pushing it and pushing it and trying to track this person down, trying to get this person with you, trying to get a meeting with this person. Maybe you just need to slow down. Verse 24 says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. Now, what does that mean? Basically means, he says, I'm not trying to lord it over you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. He says, if I showed up, I would, I would, you know, white knuckle you into doing what I want. He says, I, I don't want in any way my words to manipulate you or to make you feel bad. He says, I want this to be a God thing. And this is huge. Have you ever talked to somebody and their eyes are rolling and they only relent because they want the conversation over? That's pretty much most of the conversations with my daughter. (laughs) Trying to clarify. And with some of you, by the way, because you're like, okay. You want them to change because they want to, not because you want them to. And Paul says, you know what? I don't want you to change because I show up and I pressure you. I want this to be a heart issue. I want this to be a faith issue. I want this to be God working in your life. That's why he says, I'm not trying to lord over you. I'm not trying to control you, manipulate you. I want this to be by faith. So he plans to go. To Macedonia, 1 Corinthians 16 tells that story. He hopes to spend the winter with them because he wants to spend a long time with them before he heads back home. But the trip never takes place. So he says, I'm going to come around the second time. And he still doesn't make it there. Uh, So two times he doesn't show up. And what happens is, number five, is his actions begin to be questioned. And so are yours. When you are misunderstood, when, when you are mistreated, sometimes your actions are picked apart. Sometimes they look at every little thing they do. They start to, uh, you know, pick apart your actions. They accuse him of never even wanting to come based on his actions. I mean, he said, I really wanted to come. I really wanted to be there. And like, yeah, well, look, you never showed up. So your actions speak louder than words. And that is a true statement. However, sometimes 
things just don't work out the way you want them. Am I right on that? And and you need to be a person of your word. You need to be a person of integrity. You need to follow through on your words. However, sometimes they just don't work out that way. Paul is trying to convince them, don't question my actions based on the fact that I couldn't get there. They picked it apart and they accused him of not even caring for him, uh, for them. So he, he continues, the same conversation goes into chapter 2, and he says, verse 1, he says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, because the last time he came, it didn't end up well. He planted the church, okay? He was there for nearly two years, and he left. He heard about all kinds of craziness going on at that church, and that's a whole other study. I did a, a book study on 1 Corinthians. You can find that online if you go to our resource page. So he eventually makes it back to try to fix things, and it didn't go well. Arguments took place. Friendships were lost, and he left with nothing resolved. It was a bad situation. So he says, I made up my mind that I wouldn't make another painful visit to you. He says, for if I grieve you, if I make you mad, what is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? He says, if me come and get you angry, how is that good for you and for me? Right? This is going back to the, you know, sometimes it was because I couldn't make it. And sometimes it was because it was probably a good thing that I didn't show up. So I wrote the letter instead. And then he says, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed. I wouldn't be so angry by those who should have made me rejoice. Basically, he's not talking about 1 Corinthians. He's talking about a mystery third letter. Um, and this third letter was lost. We don't know where, where it is. It's mentioned in other books. Um, it is a letter that was very harsh. It was, it was really uh, um, heavy. And it was just Paul just tearing them apart, just getting all over them. And maybe that's why it's gone. Because all the letters of Paul were circulated. They would make a copy and send it someplace else. And a copy would be made and be sent someplace else. So to have these letters circulated from Paul. Well, I can imagine the Corinth church said, I ain't circulating that one. All he does is call us names. He says how horrible we are as Christians. Forget that. Forget you, Paul. The, The letter's gone. He says, I wrote to you so that I wouldn't be so frustrated when I got there. He says, I had confidence in all of you that you would share, that you would all share my joy, that you would see things differently based upon that letter. He says, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. He says, man, I spoke from a broken and frustrated heart. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. It was harsh, it was truthful, but it was because I love you. And I want you to, this is important. Maybe you should write this down. Paul confesses, okay, maybe I didn't say everything right, but my heart was breaking for you. And maybe I was harsh, maybe it was heavy, but I I was angry, I was frustrated. My heart was crushed, it was through tears. And as hard as it may be for some of you to hear, listen to this. He wrote this letter. He spoke the truth in love and it didn't fix the problem. 
we can't always solve every problem. Not everything we do will be understood. And I want you to hear this out. Some people just won't listen. Some people love to argue. Some people have already made up their minds about you and about the situation, even if it's a wrong perspective. And some people have an answer for everything, and we can't fix every issue. And this is a real hard one for me to reconcile, because, uh, and, and some of you, because you're fixers. You know, you see a problem, you want to fix it. You see a broken friendship, you want to mend it. You see uh, an argument, you want to you be a peacemaker, right? You know, blister the peacemakers. That's me. I want to get in there. Or you're a busybody and you're in everybody's business, which is a bad thing, by the way. I don't know if you know that, right? If you're like getting on everybody's argument, then, then you're a busybody and the Bible calls that a sin. It's, cause it's, it's just one step below gossip. Uh, there's the gossip, the one who spreads lies, and there's the one that gets involved in all the lies. And for the sake of fixing them, some of you are peacemakers, some of you are just nosy that's the truth you might write that put that in your notes knowing the situation was inflamed and emotions were high paul decided not to go to corinth but in his absence this is the last thing i want you to realize that when when things are misunderstood you're going to find people that will plot against you and that's exactly what happened with paul in his absence of not going there because he felt like it was best for them to have some room, some people came in and began to plot against him. Maybe you've been there before. You're, you've been at work and you, you did the right thing. You, you, you did the, the, the job, the assignment, the project. You did it right and you did the honorable thing. You were a person of integrity in that, in that project at school with somebody. Or uh, you, you did the right thing in your family. You, 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 you had a standard that was above uh, accountability and, and, and you or, or matched accountability. But somebody came in behind you and said, ah, oh, that person... Let's take them down. Let's bring them down. Let's get them fired. Let's, let's get them kicked out of the group. Let's, let's not go to their house anymore for family. Let's not invite them anymore. There, there's a plot against you. And you, you. You're so frustrated. Anybody ever have been plotted against before? It hurts. Let me tell you something. People that you love, who you find out are talking badly about you behind your back, that's plotting against you. People that you've really have spent time and energy with, that you thought loved you and cared for you and that you could trust are now speaking evil of you. Well, this happened to Paul. Paul begins to mention in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 a mystery person. He's known as the great offender. He mentions how this great offender attacked Paul and stirred up trouble against him. The person we found out in 1 Corinthians was actually kicked out of the church because he stirred up so much strife in the church, and now he's come back to church. How do you do that, right? This is what he says. Verse 5, if anyone has caused grief, he has. He says, he, this mystery person, has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. You're like, well, that doesn't sound severe. You got to hear his words. He says, this person has caused me so much pain that uns- he's, he's the unspoken one, right? It's like Harry Potter here. He doesn't, even, he doesn't want to even speak his name. 
the unmentionable name. He says, he has caused me so much pain, but you know what? He's also, he's called you pain too. Honestly, this person is hurting you more than he is me because I got to go away and you got stuck with him. Verse six, he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Is sufficient. Basically, they shamed him. They pointed him out. They exposed him. They asked him to leave. Uh, we're not really sure who this person is. There's all kinds of weird characters in Corinth. Uh, there was a guy who was actually sleeping with his stepmom. It's bizarre. And Paul wrote him and wrote the church in First Corinthians. He actually talks about that issue. There are people that were getting drunk at church events. And he begins to mention those people in those situations. He says that people began to live with each other in the church uh, and have open relationships. And they began to serve in the church. And, and Paul began to address that. And then there were people coming into the church speaking evil of Paul, saying that he was a selfish person and he preached false doctrine and he wasn't a pastor and all of a sudden he mentions this guy and says yeah this we don't know which one of those many people that he's talking about but he says whoever that great offender is he's back all right and he says you've inflicted enough pain on him what we're going to do now is we're going to look at a big snapshot of how paul responded to all these attacks i mean think about it Paul's integrity was questioned, his words were twisted, his authority was tested, his motives were challenged, his actions were picked apart, and he was plotted against. So how did he and how can we respond based upon what we find here in 2 Corinthians? How is God going to use these people? Now think about it. Every time somebody talks about us negatively, you know what? God can chisel that area in our life. He's saying, you know what? You're being plotted against? Oh, yeah. That's going to work in you, a sense of endurance and patience, right? What we're going to find out are the things that God chisels into us when we respond the way that Paul did. So check this out. The first thing that he did is he realized, and you need to realize this too, (laughs) is that you will be misunderstood even by friends and family. You will not escape life without those painful relational moments where even your friends and family misinterpret or misunderstand or plot against you. Some of you have been there and felt the pain of a sister, an older, an adult sister, an adult brother, a parent, a child. You've been there as a friend who is like a brother or a sister has has taken you and and used you and twisted and and you don't know what to do about it paul says realize this even in the best of relationships there will be moments of misunderstanding he knew these people he lived with them for almost two years they were friends they were close he cried with them he laughed with them and then a rift developed and a misunderstanding began to grow same thing in your marriage things will happen in a marriage and misunderstandings will happen in friendships and families. This is part of being in a relationship. This is a part of letting people in your life. And that's why some of you, you don't let people in your life because you don't want to feel that pain. Let me tell you something right now. Some of you are keeping people so far away from you that you don't want any pain. You're like a bubble-free pain. You're also a bubble-free of love. Because... If you keep the world away from you, yeah, you won't experience pain, but you also won't experience the joy of true relationships and intimacy with people. 
they come together. Paul says, I want you to realize this. It's going to happen. So how are you going to respond? This is the first thing he did. First of all, he lived above accusation. We find this in, in that verse 12 in chapter 1. He says, we have conducted ourselves in the world, uh, and especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. Paul responded by being a person of integrity. He says, I did not manipulate you or use you. I was blameless. This is echoed all through the Bible. I want to read some verses to you for just a second. I want you to hear this because I think some of you, we can stop right here and this would probably fix some of your problems or it would actually be something that you could go home and really work on for the rest of the week. Listen to this. Philippians 2.15 says, Be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. 1 Timothy 3 2 and Titus 1, 6 say now that the leader is to be above reproach. Someone in authority, someone before people is to be blameless. 1 Timothy 3, 7 says we're to have a good reputation with outsiders so that, they, so that we will not fall into disgrace and to the devil's trap. 1 Peter 2, 12 says live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 2 Peter 3, 14, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with others. Here's the deal. The Bible and Paul is challenging us to live above accusation. Don't leave room for people to come and accuse you. I'll give you some examples. I know young adults who have not been in a dating relationship, a male and a female who have lived together. And we all go, right? And they go, well, we're just friends. And they may be just friends and there may be no funny business, but that's not above reproach. That is not above being blameless. We have to live in such a way that no one can accuse us. There are certain things that I choose to do in my life because I want to be above reproach. I don't want to be accused of being a drunk. So my wife and I, we choose, we choose not to drink at all. Now, the Bible says that getting drunk is a sin, but the Bible gives some allowance for, for, you know, a drink here and there, but we choose not to drink at all so that we can be above reproach, so that you never see me walking out with a 12-pack at your, at your local Chevron. And that, you know, if I drank beer, which I don't, I mean, that might last me a couple, you know, a couple days. I don't know. I'm just kidding. A couple months is what I was going for, but nobody caught that a couple days. Like, what? A couple days? A couple hours. Uh, I, but I'm not, you know, even though there might be some allowance for that because all things are acceptable and not all things are probable, I choose not to do that so that I want to be a blameless and above reproach for my kids and for you. I want my kids to, to see me and not go, yeah, but you do this. Well, you act like that. Well, you talk like that. I want to live above reproach. You know, that means I choose not to do certain things that I'm free to do that aren't necessarily a sin because I'm free in Christ, but I choose not to do them because Paul says, and the Bible's very clear, that we are to live above accusation, blameless, 
And he says, you know what? You, you tried to come against me, but his response is, I've been nothing but a person of integrity. And that's something that is powerful that you can stand on. I'm, by the way, are you a person of integrity? Are you the same in private as in public? Are you above blame? Are you above reproach? Can, are you able to say, I live for God, I have integrity in my life. You only speak the truth. You won't have to remember what you say. Do you always speak the truth? Do we live what we say? Do others have a reason to accuse us? Paul says, my conscience is clear. I'm an open book. Nothing is hidden. I'm transparent. So what can you really accuse me of? I want to tell you something. If you've ever been in a colonized home, we are an open book. We probably a little bit more transparent than most people realize. I mean, we have people in our home throughout the week in small groups and Bible studies, and we are, the, we, we are the same here as we are in our home, as we are when we go to the movies. We are the same. Are you the same? And then he says this. He says this is another way of responding. He says, don't get defensive. Paul was troubled by the accusations, but he did not get angry at them. He did not get argumentative or try to prove he was right. He just simply said, hey, guys, this is how it is. He did not get defensive. Some of you, the second somebody comes and talks to you, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, I never said that. And if you've never said it, that's what you're thinking. Your head's about to explode. Just get me out of here. And I find myself sometimes, I, I can't be in this conversation anymore. I've said that out loud many times. I cannot talk about this anymore because my head is about to explode. But there are times when, I remember when I was a youth pastor and uh, I was called into my pastor's office to be corrected about stuff. I know. About what? Really? <laughs> Why is that so funny, honey? <laughs> Uh, it is kind of funny, but I remember calling, you know, I'd preach on a Sunday and he'd call me and go, Ted, you just can't say those sort of things. You can't, you can't use those illustrations. And I, and I was like, I was thinking, man, you're just old. <laughs> you're out of touch. These are relevant. This is, this is, you know, I had to, but I had to, and, and I'd be in staff meetings. I'd be like, I'm kind of like reaping the benefit, or I wouldn't say benefits. I'm reaping the seeds that I sowed. We have our leadership meeting today. By the way, there's a couple of particular individuals who who uh, who just, particularly one in particular, who um who works with teenagers. I'm not going to say who it is. Who's just everything is a joke. Everything is a joke, and 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 they're funny. And then somebody else chimes in. I'm not going to say who it is, but they work with the music. And then there's another person who's not here because I think their kids are sick. I'm not going to say who it is, but they work with our outreach. Um, and they just, just joke and laugh, and it's funny. And then there's another person, I'm not saying who it is, but they, he does the, the projection. And he has these one-line zingers that are really funny, but it's just a constant, like, and I remember... That's how I was in our staff, in our staff meetings. Um, and while it's many of them, I was, it was like 12 people inside of me, and I was schizophrenic in our meetings. And I remember more than once the pastor brought me in and said, Ted, you just can't be cracking jokes through the whole meeting. You just, you know. And I would get, he'd see me getting all like, and, and I remember so clearly, he says, why are you so defensive? 
And then a pops. I, I felt horrible because I don't want to be defensive. Because Paul says, don't be defensive. Don't get argumentative. It shows if you're teachable or not. And then he says, present a humble and honest, clear explanation. This is what he does, rather. Paul patiently then explained again the situation. He did not pressure them or hide things, but he humbly put his heart out in the open. Some of you, if you get that chance to sit down with somebody, then you need to humbly and honestly and clearly explain your situation. Not attack, not get defensive, not try to squish them or prove them wrong, but just humbly and patiently and honestly and clearly explain your side of the situation. He shared his struggles and exactly what happened. He says, I wanted to come and see you, but only if it would bring about healing and spiritual growth, not more fighting. He said, just as Jesus keeps his word, I strive to keep mine, but things just happen sometimes and I couldn't be there. Here's another way that he responded. He also, he said, he prayed for them and he gave them some room. This is a, a big one. Paul responded, with giving them some space and giving them some time. He shared his heart in a letter, and then he pulled back and let the Holy Spirit do work in their life. And what you're going to find over the next couple of weeks is this church that had gone berserk. The first half of Corinthians is actually Paul saying, awesome, you guys are growing. I feel like we're close in relationship. He eventually did get back to Corinth and did get to see them. Their relationships were strengthened and things did go well. But he had to give them some time. He went to God on their behalf and let the Holy Spirit work without interfering. Sometimes you need to meet and hash it out. Sometimes you need to back off. Sometimes you need to give people some space. Give them some time to think and pray about it. Give the Holy Spirit time to soften their hearts. This is honestly a tough one for me because like I said earlier, I like to address things quickly. I like to deal with them fast. I'm a person of confrontation and I think confrontation, if it brings resolution, is good and healthy. So I'm like, where's where's, where's he at? What, what, you know, I'm calling. Sometimes I just got to say my piece. And just give them some room. Some of you, you need to give your kids some room. You've talked to them already about it. You've shared your heart. Maybe you're even a little harsh. Now pull back a little bit and let the Holy Spirit work on it. Same thing with young people and your parents. Some people with your friend, with that coworker. You've shared your heart. You've, shared, you've said your position. You've made it very clear what your thoughts are. Now just let God do the rest, okay? What a, what a hard and great thing to learn this morning. If you can go on with that, you'll be a changed person. Verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, I wrote this letter in anguish with a troubled heart, with many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much I love you. This lost letter was a hard letter that Paul didn't want to write, and it was a hard letter the uh, the Corinthians did not want to hear. He wrote it out of love, 
but they did not feel his love. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you can say something and it's just not received in the way that you gave. Sometimes your heart is not heard. Sometimes your, your convincing is not convincing. And, and the Holy Spirit moved on to him to back up and just let God be God in them. He says, I will come, but until then, hear God. Let him work on you. I've not given up on you. I've said what I had to say. Now I'm going to wait. Waiting can be hard. I've often forgot this thing. Sometimes it's more important what you don't do than what you do. This is not passive or apathy. This is doing what I would call active waiting. And this is waiting on the Lord. The Bible talks a lot about it. Proverbs 37, uh, Psalm 37, 8 says, Refrain from anger. Be patient with your anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret for it leads only to evil. That means if you get anxious to try to fix something, it only leads to trouble. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Here's another thing that Paul did is that he did not return evil for evil. Paul understood as Christ was insulted and accused and condemned, though innocent, Jesus never attacked. While Jesus was on the cross taking the suffering that should have been yours, that should have been mine, while Jesus was being hammered in his hands and in his feet and whipped and beaten, he never once pulled his hands off the cross and said, Father, He could have. The Bible says that all of creation is under the hands and feet and control and authority of Jesus. That the world was made through him, by him, and for him. That we exist only because he lets us exist. Jesus could have pulled his hands and as easily as he put flesh on a leper's body and put an ear on a soldier's uh, head after it was cut off, he could have pulled his hands off, you know, floated above the cross, healed his entire body perfectly, shone forth with glory, called down a legion of angels and wiped out every Roman centurion Pharisee there was. But he didn't. He did not return evil for evil. Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. When they beat him, he did not retaliate. When they forced that crown of thorns on his head, he did not curse them. When they drove the nails into his hands and his feet, he did not threaten them. When those that watched him spat on him, he did not spit back. And when they swore to him, he did not swear back. How did Jesus do this? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 23, he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, this is for you. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He knew that the Lord would take care of it. He knew that it was under the hand of the Father. Sometimes the real test of faith is what we don't do. Those moments test our faith, shape our character, and reveal who we follow. Here's the last thing that Paul did, how we can respond when we are mistreated. 
And this is give them what Jesus gave us another chance. Paul responded with grace to this great offender. Check this out. This is what he says. The one who tried to tear him apart, verse 6, he says, the punishment you afflicted on him, that great offender, when you kicked him out of the church, by the majority is sufficient. Now he's back. And this is what he says. This guy who caused all this trouble wants to come back into your circle of friends. This girl who, who just kind of trash-talked all of you and gossiped about you is calling you now wanting to hang out again. That guy at work who, who kind of lied to you, he's wanting to be back into relationship with you. This is what he says. He says, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. He says, that troublemaker dude, restore him. Let him back in. It can take just as much courage and wisdom to welcome back a person as it does to confront a person, right? Some of you are thinking right now, I don't know if I want this person back in my life. Well, if they come humble and broken, Paul says, restore them. Confirm your love for them. He says this, another reason I wrote you, that is that previous harsh mystery letter, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven. He says, he uses the word forgive five times in one verse. Inside of Christ, for your sake, I've done this. Remember that person needs forgiveness. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Thank God for Jesus. We're all in this boat together. This is a truthful statement. I want you to write this in. I want to end with this thought. And this is, we will always need forgiveness. And we will always have someone we need to forgive. That issue, that argument, that situation, it's all part of God allowing situations in your life to chisel you, to, to work at you, to shape you. When we're misunderstood, we like to claim our rights. We want to make our point. We want to push until the person breaks because we're right, doggone it. And then here comes Jesus and he says, submit to one another. He says, prefer others above yourself. He says, turn the cheek. He says, forgive. He says, restore. And here's the last verse in that section that we're reading today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. He, after he says all of this, he says, he ends with this. And I want to end with this thought. He says, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And then verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. And I want you to realize this, guys. Don't be fooled. This whole thing was a plot of the enemy to tear them apart. Some of you, you have a relationship right now that's got unresolved issues under the surface. Close friends, family, parents, children. And the enemy is at work here. Hear this. The enemy is at work to tear you apart from them. Some relationships need to be severed. 
if they're unhealthy for you. But Paul is saying those that are God relationships that you know in your heart need to be fixed, don't allow the enemy to keep you from resolving them. And in the meantime, God's going to bring another person into your life. I'm going to use you for a second, Chris. Here, come over here for a minute. I'm going to chisel some. No, you're okay with your guitar if you can reach. I won't chisel you on purpose. Let me put it that way. Uh, <laughs> Hi. You're good looking, so I won't like chisel any of your face. But this could go right Thanks. here. All right, just kidding. Hey, um, could one of you go check that out real quick? Yeah, okay. Wow, he's like a like a jack-in-the-box. The music came on. Here's the deal. God, we're going to talk about in 2 Corinthians all the things that God chisels out. Right? All the things that we need to get worked on. Really? Well, hey, I got, that was a joke. Come on now. There we go. If only it were that easy. Yeah. Well, if you have the money, it is. Here's what God does, though. He, he, he works in us. He, he takes the, the chisel and the hammer to us. And guys, listen, this is painful, isn't it? Yes, it was. That was Hanson. I'm waiting for that music to be off. I want to end with this thought. Let's pray. Don't allow the enemy to tear your marriage, your friendships, your kids apart from you. Instead, don't get defensive, but be humble. Explain yourself and give it to God and let the Holy Spirit do the rest, okay? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that you are here. You are with us. You care for us. And Lord, I am thankful, Lord, that... um, when you try to bring things into our life, even to distract us, like even this music can sometimes, Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I've learned to accept this as part of the great mission of being here at our church. And it's you chiseling impatience out of me. It's you chiseling reliance upon you into me. And uh, God, as much as I don't want to say this, I'm thankful for those relationships that are hard the EGRs, the extra grace required, friends. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're using them to shape me and to make me look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.